forever. Dog. During the day, I was working on Boy Meets World. And then at night, <laughs> I'd go shoot swingers. <laughs> it was a blast. Literally, I felt like I was living the dream. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from Speechless, The Big Bang Theory, or that one scene in He's Just Not That Into You where I hit on Jennifer Aniston at a wedding. Our guest this episode is Alex Desaire. You know Alex from Swingers, from Becker, from Boy Meets World, from Better Things, maybe even the musical version of Freaky Friday, which you watched on a whim but actually kind of enjoyed. Alex is, uh, well, we have a deep connection, and I get into that right at the top of the uh, episode. There's a lot of talk about New York. There's a little talk about Bugsy Malone. There's a lot of talk about ska. It's a broad-ranging conversation. Please welcome Alex Desaire. Time is a wild thing, and I will prove that time is a wild thing. You had said in uh, in the email where I asked you what you are most often recognized for, you you noted the phenomenon of people thinking they went to high school with you. Oh yeah, um, because you've and which makes sense. You've been sort of omnipresent for thirty years of media now. Um, but I have obviously take offense as someone who actually went to junior high with you, right? And 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 come by that that phenomenon honestly. How much do you remember of the first thing I saw you in, which was Mr. Eldridge's production of Grease? Ooh, Grease. My my fondest memory of that was, well, I don't know if you want to call it fond or what. I do remember, because what we did was we mixed the, the, the play and the movie. Yeah. So I was like, am I Rump Rogers or am I Putsy? I don't remember. But my... <laughs> My my biggest memory was because I also played him as well as uh, the Teen Angel. That's and right. And that was my first time I'd never heard about a quick change before. So oh, basically wow. I had three pieces of wardrobe on at the same time because there was a scene with the gang. We're all hanging out. And then the very next scene was singing Beauty School Dropout. So I remember I had the, uh, the full outfit on mm-hmm. of putsy rump whatever you want to call them yanked right. that off underneath was my white jumpsuit went out and sang that song mm-hmm. and then after that song was another scene with the gang so i underneath the jumpsuit was another rump putsy outfit. that's incredibly so you had three layers on yeah and the thing is you know i think you know i was a chubby kid <laughs> were you well, have, so I, I thought, wouldn't have characterized you as such, but go so, ahead. So I thought, so on top of like being nervous of doing the show, I was like, God, I look really fat too, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Went off without a hitch. Went off without a hitch. Um, what a what a fun thing to feel about yourself when you're 13. <laughs> 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 this led you seamlessly um, to to LaGuardia High School for the Arts, which um, for our listeners who, who didn't grow up in the five boroughs, was what happened when they merged uh, the the fame school, High School for the Performing Arts with Music and Art, into this brand new building at the time, this, right. this 80s architectural box behind Lincoln Center. Well, you were one of the first classes we were, in that I was building. in the freshman class of that building. You were in the freshman class of that building. Yeah. Oh, I remember you guys, everyone was talking like, because I knew so many people who didn't get into LaGuardia. 
and they were all having sour grapes. Like, yeah, I hear the ventilation sucks. I'm like, dude, come on. Come on. Don't be this guy. Let them, you know, none of us have air conditioning. It's the public school system. Let right. it go. Well, I remember, I remember telling people, like, yeah, I'm in the new building, but I auditioned. In the old building. <laughs> well, that means you auditioned in the Fame building. Oh, yeah. That's you was... and Gene Anthony Ray, as far as I'm concerned, oh, yeah. auditioning in the Fame building. Oh, yeah. And the crazy thing is, it's like, I don't remember much about it, but all I remember is shadows. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shadows and, and shades of brown. And I remember part of the audition was something like, um, you know, you had to prepare two monologues. And I, I think I did like two monologues that were way out of my league. But I was like, hey. This is so range. Yeah, sure. But what were they? Do you remember? I think um, one was from To Look Back in Anger. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Angry Young Man British play from the 50s. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I read it. I was like, yeah, this seems cool. I could do it. <laughs> Big swing, uh, but okay. But the funny thing was, uh, you know, during the audition, so you do the, you do the monologues. And then if you get past that, you have your like callback right there. Oh, wow. Really? They yeah. were doing cuts like in the room, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's either thank you for coming or can you wait in the hall for a while? Wow. And so I was waiting in the hall for a while. And then the callback, um, if I remember, was like the head of the drama department, Jerome Escal, rest in peace, sir, um, and a couple other teachers. And, you know, we, we do theater games. And then... Part of that was to do your monologue as an animal. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't oh, remember boy. what I did. I just remember going, what the hell have I done stuck my shit in? <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, it worked. I must have done, I don't remember. Did I do a giraffe, an elephant? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very much like. He said, I've been reading older interviews with you, and, and it sounds very much like this was always the path for yeah. for Alex. Like, there was never a fallback plan. Yeah. And it sounds like, like me, you were wildly influenced by Alan Parker's Bugsy Malone. Oh, yeah. Which oh, yeah. which I always – which I had to buy on Amazon because it's not available on, on DVD, but I had to show it to my kids – and it's befuddling to children right now. It's so weird. But it was uh-huh. weird at the time, too. Yeah. It is, of course, the, the Scott Bayo Jodie Foster film where a bunch of kids uh, play gangsters and, oh, right, it's a musical. Um, right. And um, what was it about that movie, aside from everything that kind of that sparked you? Well, you know what the funny thing was? I didn't see the movie till years later. Really? So what I knew it from the soundtrack. Really? So... You know, um, when I was a little kid, um, you know, I lived in Queens. I went to school in Manhattan. And, you know, this is from the time I was six to, I don't know, 11 or 12. I'd go to school and then I'd have to go wait at the Donnell Public Library till my mother got off of work Okay. in Brooklyn. And then she'd uh-huh. meet me at the Fifth Avenue train station and then we'd go home together. Okay. And, and so in all that time, I'd be, I was like a library rat. <laughs> I, I, just I promise out. you, you're a year older than me. I promise you we crossed paths. At the oh, I'm now. sure we did. That was not our closest branch, but it was the biggest branch. And oh, we yeah. went there all the time. And it was right yeah. up there. It was right near MoMA. 
Yep. Um, and it, it's, it had this, I remember it had an enormous record collection. Yeah. And the Museum of Broadcasting was right next to it too. Back when it was the Museum of Broadcasting. Yeah. yeah. Before this Paley yeah. Center. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what I do is, you know, aside from running around the library, it was kind of cute because the security guards all knew me. They're like, all right, yeah. Alex, come on. Your mom will be here in 10 minutes. All right, cool. Thank you. But I'd go to the, um, the uh, audio department. Yeah. And I'd listen to the records and the, the uh, cover of Bugsy Malone got me because it was all these kids dressed up. Sure. And so literally I'd look at it and I'd listen to it and I learned all the songs and I'd just fantasize looking at the record covers. It's like, yeah, I want to dress up like a thirties gangster, you know? <laughs> and yeah, so it really had a big effect on me just, you know, looking and imagining and seeing it you know, seeing myself as that. And so when I did finally sit, it was, it was even more amazing. Cause then I was like, they all sound like Paul Williams. How is this possible? <laughs> How is this possible? You know? Yeah. Alan Parker had a huge, cause you know, and then part of the reason I ended up going to LaGuardia was cause I remember seeing fame. Sure. With my brother who's 10 years older. And this is a true story. You know, he went to art and design. Okay. Which is another school where, you know, you have to basically, uh, there's an audition process to get in. And uh, we watched the movie. So he was, what, 17? And I must have been seven or something like that. You were probably a little bit out. older than that. That movie comes out in 1980. So you're probably closer there, to 10. I, yeah. There it is, 10 and 20 then. Okay. And uh, I remember him making a bet to me when the movie was over. He's like, yeah, you're going to go to that school? Bet you a dollar. And I was like, yeah, let's go. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> that's how I talked at 10. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. <laughs> you talked like a 30s gangster already. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Alan Parker. <laughs> 23 skidoo. Now let's talk about hair. No, it's <laughs> but, um, what I always love about Alan Parker, who we just lost last year, um, is that he's he the the meat in the sandwich of Bugsy Malone and Fame. Do you know what the movie between that is? What was it's it? fucking Midnight Express? Wow. Oh wow. Right? Wow. <laughs> That's quite a career. That's quite a little run. Angel Heart. Oh, that's right. Angel Heart's after that. Like that's that like was a date movie for me, if that's I remember. That's a fucked up date movie. That yeah. is a fucked up date movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to ask how the rest of the evening went because I don't think it's any of my business. <laughs> it was sexy. <laughs> what? Um. Uh. So you you go to LaGuardia. You go to this incredibly competitive, incredibly demanding uh, uh, performing arts school. And you get out of there by the skin of your teeth mm -hmm. because you booked a pilot? Yeah. Uh, I booked a pilot. So you're not supposed to audition <laughs> when you go to LaGuardia. But, you know, I was like, man, this is what I'm here for. And um, I'd gotten, yeah, man, I am blessed. Hashtag blessed I am. I, I somehow managed to meet a casting agent who tried to get me on the Cosby show. I met her on the street. Well, the Cosby show, which starred briefly Carl Payne, uh -huh. who, who also else? went who, to Wagner with us and was Danny, was Danny Zuko. Zuko. That's right. Yeah. And he was, he was cockroach <laughs> well, never on saw the Cosby show. Like this, people. No, no, this was, this was a, a singular production. I'm, I'm happy to have seen it. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, somehow I'd met this casting woman who, you know, hooked me up. Cosby show obviously didn't happen. Actually, Carl got the part. 
Oh my god, it was it, you went out for cockroach. Oh yeah, that was one of my first big auditions. I like, yeah, dude. I ended up going to Brooklyn and meeting Cosby. It was yeah, yeah. It was kind of crazy. I, I always ask about um, the uh, what was a role that got away, and uh, you just beat me to the punch. That is fascinating. <laughs> I had no idea you those. Although I guess you know you've got like two charismatic kids running around who could play Malcolm Jamal Warren. Of course, you guys are going to go out for the same mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go on. No, it was, it was very, and you know the funny thing is, it was cool because Carl was doing that while we were in high school. So wow. he was also part of the reason why I was like, look, if Carl is doing that, I'm doing this. Sure. And so, you know, I ended up auditioning for the show TV 101, booked the pilot, came out to Los Angeles, which was like mind blown. Um, I think two weeks ended up being a month or something like that. And I think at the time uh, we were doing the spring drama festival. I was a senior in high school. We were doing the spring drama festival. I had to drop out of that. Uh, with the parts that I, the part that I had and do the pilot came back, almost got kicked out of high school because of that. Um, somehow managed to stay in, ended up uh, being part of the company of the spring drama festival, you know, uh, which was actually was really fun. We we're doing the comedy of errors oh, wow. and the director decided to make it feel like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh, cool. So you can you know, go really like, big with comedy of errors. That's one of the ones you can go really big and yeah. really silly with. I mean, we were doing like Hassan Chuck type stuff. It was, <laughs> it was out. Um, so, yeah. And um, yeah, I was able to do that. My grades were not the best. And so that year there was a writer's strike. So I was, which literally I was able to go to summer school get all my credits. As soon as the credits were done, I had a couple of weeks and I was back in LA looking for an apartment ready to come and do the show, which was at 18 years old at 18 at 18. And yeah, I always laugh. I'm like, huh, as an 18 year old, I think I like subconsciously said, how far from Queens can I get it? Oh, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Moved right to Venice. And I think before I moved here, I'd seen like Colors and Hollywood Shuffle. Just so I knew what I was getting into when I moved to LA. Sure. (laughs) Um, That's, you know, that's, those are, those are two decent representations, I think, of, uh, of how the town works. Yeah. Hollywood Shuffle had to have been a really interesting thing to watch as a young black actor. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I found it really, eye-opening as someone who was just a white kid who who had deep-seated wishes to be an actor but never talked about it but mm-hmm. I, I watched it and i was like oh god yeah there's all sorts of aspects that i would never even thought about oh, in yeah. terms of how how actors are treated there's the the um the murphy-esque montage mm-hmm. remember the scene oh, i'm talking about oh yeah movie's it's, brilliant where the casting director keeps trying to get him to be more Eddie Murphy like, uh-huh. and it's uh, but I mean. it's, it's so hard to watch. Um, oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about um, uh, about TV One One. It was set in a high school. Yeah, wait, hold on, hold on, one second. I'm going to rewind just a second. Think about Hollywood Shuffle. My very very first job okay. before TV One One was on a soap opera called Ryan's Hope. 
Okay. And that shot in New York? That was shot in New York, a couple of blocks from my high school. Oh, that's right. Oh, I I actually know that studio. That's right. It was one of the ABC studios right by Lincoln Center. And it was like the first job, like all my boys were like, yo, Alex, you got, oh, snap, you're going to be working. And, you know, I even remember like going to the schools and then the homeboys walked me to the studio. All right, man, have a great day. My first line ever, this is going back to Hollywood Shuffle, was me. I'm in an abandoned apartment with the uh, other bad black kids. And uh, I've got like a, a bag of Coke, a bag of weed, and I'm reading like Right On or Fresh or one of those magazines. And my very first, it was an under five job, was, hey, yo, Lyndon, check out this fine mama. That was my first gig. How old are you? Like 17. Oh, God. Yeah. But you know what? At the time, I was grateful. No, I'm sure. Glad. Sure. I'm breaking in. You know, yeah. I you mean, know, it's I different can't, times as well. I can only imagine being a 17 year old and your first gig is, is a 17 year old mm-hmm. um, speaking like a black exploitation villain with yep. um, while carrying controlled substances. That's a, um, a, a stark, but possibly very realistic introduction to the business. I imagine. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Was TV 101 a slightly better experience representation-wise? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, yeah, that was that was a great experience. I mean, I remember even auditioning for that. You know, I, I'm, I'm a Scott kid forever, and uh, yeah. I remember auditioning for it. And I think I was wearing like an English Beat T-shirt with my vest nice. and all that. And I remember the, the creator, Carl Schaefer, going, uh, are you a root boy? I was like, yes, I am. Wow. Like, okay, cool. And I don't think that's what they had in mind for the character at all. Interesting. You know, um, so when it happened, they were like, we're going full. Let's go. You know, all of a sudden, my character's riding a Vespa. Of you course. Know, of all course. this stuff, which was great. And that, you know, that goes to tell you, you know, what a great experience that was. Um in the sense that they were open to everything. Um, yeah. You know, the cast was great, you know. Um, you had some great people in there. You had yeah, Sam Andrew Robards White. was the lead. I'm looking up. Yeah, Matt LeBlanc showed Matt up. Matt LeBlanc, Terry Polo, Stacey Dash, um, Sam Robards. Yeah. Or one of the coolest things. So Sam Robards' mom is Lauren Bacall. Yeah, of course. And uh, she came to set. <laughs> Which was so. First off, I'm like, it's Lauren Bacall. And I remember she goes, Alex, you're so handsome. You're so silly, but you're so handsome. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's the brand. I was like, did Lauren Bacall just put the moves on me? <laughs> <laughs> but let's yeah, see what I can was... have in common with Humphrey Bogart this evening. <laughs> <laughs> We're family now, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Would I have run into you? We didn't meet in person until I moved to L.A. 
and we 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 sh- we showed up on the same set, and I was like, "You went to Wagner, right?" And we had a, yeah. a great little talk then. But I'm wondering if we were probably at some of the same toasters shows, probably same boiler shows, probably the sk- massive ska scene in mm-hmm. New York in the '80s. Yep. Were you? I know you're you're in a couple of bands in LA more recently. The you know, you're in Hepcat. You're in the Lions. Were you in any bands in in high school in New York? No, me and some friends tried. We. We we some of the music majors and some of the drama majors. Uh, I think we did a band that was called. I think we went from Burnt Toast, and then we changed the name to Dub Squad or something like that. Sure. And we just jammed out, but we never did anything with it. So I didn't okay. really dive into doing music until I came to LA. Oddly enough, it was that was great because. Uh, I didn't realize I needed therapy for acting until I started doing the music because, you know, I needed another creative outlet. Right. You know, in between all the, all the no's while all the no's are happening. Sure. It's good to have a yes, which is you and your fellows doing your thing. And I'm so grateful for that. So grateful. Such a great, uh, outlet with the pandemic ending. Um, I've had so many people reach out to me because I play a little bit of bass. I've had so many people reach out to me like, we're getting, a, we're getting some studio time. We're just going to get together. We're just going to jam. It's just uh-huh. so interesting how people are desperate for that connection that only yeah. music can provide. Yeah. Um, and I'm just getting a lot of texts like that from people who I didn't even know they knew I played bass, but they've just right. like, they're, they're hunting us, us down. It's kind of fun. You play a very traditional, um, a real, old school Desmond Decker kind of ska. Mm-hmm. I won't say it acts like two-tone never happened, but there's right. a real traditional island quality to that. Is that, mm-hmm. um, did you grow up listening to that stuff? No, in high school, like, you know, I got it. Like, I'm, I love the specials until my dying day. Sure. And, you know, the, the beauty of that is, you know, that's one of the beauties of music and the arts. You, you get into something, once you, once you get into something, you want to learn more about it. So what are their influences? Right. Oh, that that song Monkey Man is not a it's not an original. That's Toots right. and the Maytals. Who's Toots and the Maytals? Sure. Guns of Navarone. Sure. I know that movie. And you're like, wait a minute, who are the Scatolites? You mean they did a cover of a Scatolite song? Who are the Scatolites? Roland right. Alfonso, who who's Tommy McCook? Tommy Tommy McCook likes John Coltrane. Who's John Coltrane? Oh, that's beautiful. So literally that's what happened with us. And we we <laughs> we decided because we were also, <laughs> you know, we were young, you know, uh, cocky, confident, some bitches. And sometimes we'd go to shows and we'd only dance like the band would be playing, but we'd only dance when the DJ was playing. And what the DJ would be playing would be old 60s ska. And so that's when we dance. And so when we were doing the band, we were like, yo, let's try and do that. And it took us a couple of years to actually find what our sound was. Right. You know, which is kind of fun because from the get-go, we were like, yo, we're doing this 
perfectly. And then you listen to you like, oh, no, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Your voice went up an octave. Trial by fire, you know. <laughs> so it, it's great. And, you know. Let's take that same, that same love of research over to acting for a moment. I usually save uh-huh. this question for later, too. But who were some of your guys coming up? Who were some of your, your not necessarily the leading men you admired, but the guys who were kind of filling out the corner of the screen? Who were some favorite character actors for you? Man. I love Ted Lange. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the man right there. Really? Um, Isaac the bartender. Yeah, Isaac the bartender. Um, who, and who I don't think people realize this, is still super active in L.A. theater. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has he has his own theater company, teaches and everything. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a bad man. Um, you know, and also, too, I guess a lot of this, it's, it's the emotional stuff, too, that comes with it. So, you know, coming up. I have very fun memories. Like I will go to Welcome Back, Cotter, and I will go to That's My Mama, uh, those 70s TV shows, yeah, because sure. the, that's what we watched as a family, mm-hmm. you know? And so those are also, I think, part of the reasons why I got into it, just that, you know, my mother and my brother and I, you know, the opening credits for Welcome Back, Cotter, we lived in Brooklyn at the time. And when it says Welcome to Brooklyn, all three of us were like, ah! Fourth largest city in the world. Yeah, yeah, I know the sign. I know the sign. You know, I know. So, the sign. yeah, you know, um, who, who did I go? Oh my gosh, coming up. I mean, James Earl Jones, Cosby as a kid, yeah. great for me. I mean, he was everywhere. Yeah, I mean, he's in, he's he comes up here all the time, yeah. actually, I mean, and it's 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 heartful and it's it's bittersweet. Yeah, but if we're, really we're separate is. the art from the artist for a moment, um, it really is. You can't. Yeah. Uh, you can't uh, understate his. Oh, let's not dwell on it. Anyway, you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I mean, it, yeah, it is tough. I mean, listen, I still have a Fat Albert cell. Oh, really? An animation cell? Oh, yeah. nice. I mean, it's, it's a huge part of my childhood. And literally, I was looking at it going, do I take it down? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Well, no, if you yeah. go back to, I mean, if you, even if you, if you just know Cosby as Cosby, or if you just know Cosby as Cliff Huxtable, mm-hmm. you're missing out on I Spy, which was yeah. so endearing, so charming. Him and Robert yeah. Culp with the greatest chemistry in television yep. history. Yeah. Yep. In, in a groundbreaking piece of work, too. Yeah. yeah. To have and you're two, watching Cosby learn how to act while he was doing it. You, you really are. Yeah. Culp is so Because basically Culp took him under his wing. He was like, yeah, let me show you how to do this. That's you know, and Robert Culp's another one that I love. Oh, I love! I got to meet Culp. Um, wow, he he came to an improv show I did one time, and he was in the audience. His daughter had taken him to the show, and we go backstage at the break, and we're like, second row, off to the left. Is that that's fucking Robert <laughs> Culp, right? We lose our minds. We tell the tech booth. We come back out. At, after intermission and the tech guy starts playing the greatest American hero theme uh, and everyone just stands up and starts singing uh, at him and it would, uh, the whole audience is in on it. It was fucking glorious. He was great. so gracious. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. We could do an hour just on call. I, I, I love that guy. I'm a huge. I, I, actually, fan. I saw him, I gushed at Amoeba records years ago. Really? Yeah, and that was one of the. And I don't like going up to people and going, "Hey, oh, oh. yeah." I I had to. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I'll do it for people who I don't think are being stopped on the street enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what section was Robert Culp in at Amoeba? 
Oh, boy. It was. I think I was coming out of jazz and he was going into jazz. So in the back, then the old. Yeah, in the back. Yeah. That's cool. That's and awesome. He was, yeah, he was he was really happy. <laughs> I bet. I bet. See, that's you great. Were, you did a wonderful thing. You put yeah. a, you put a little light into the world. Yeah. Um, the first time I noticed you on TV, I would have been I, TV 101. I would have been in college myself and I we didn't have a TV in my dorm. I was right. working my ass off. But the first time I remember the TV being on and me going, hang on a second. That guy went to Wagner was The Heights. <laughs> which is a fascinating story, The Heights. It was uh-huh. um, an Aaron Spelling show. Yep. He's coming off of, uh, of 90210, the mm-hmm. phenomenology of which cannot be understated. Right. He had the keys to the kingdom, and his the idea was to do almost a dramatic monkeys, like a prefabricated mm-hmm. band. Yeah. And it, it's an interesting arc to that show because it worked until it didn't. Yeah, I I think, you know, it's funny. I think that show had so much potential. So much. And I, I think TV 101, too, as well, actually. I think 101 was a little before its time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the reason, well, people weren't watching. Um, but I think the storylines were a little bit ahead of his time, as cheesy as it was. In, in terms of just tackling larger issues. Yeah. Or I mean, bringing- part of the reason I think we went down, we were protested by, I think, anti-abortion groups because mm-hmm. there was a three-episode arc where I think LeBlanc's character ends up getting his girlfriend pregnant. Really? We're talking some big stuff. That's and this a is lot 1988. for 88. That is a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, so we're touching things like that. We're touching Max Perlick did a couple of great episodes where uh, my character finds him. He's a homeless kid living in our school that does graffiti. Okay. You know, tackling stuff like that. Yeah. And it was just a little, you know, I think it was just a little ahead of its time right there. Um very grateful for that. I think with the Heights too, it started off. I think the Heights turned into the monkeys or they were trying to do that. I sometimes I laugh. I'm like, yeah, we're Melrose place with a band. You know? <laughs> well, that's um, kind of how it was presented. It was yeah. very much presented Melrose place. These are all really, yeah. really good looking people and they're in a band together. I think what had happened was it started off grittier and more about the interplay between these characters and then the song became a hit. A massive hit. How Can I Talk to an Angel was a bona fide yeah. radio sensation. And once that happened, then I think the entertainment machine came in and said, whoa, whoa, mm. whoa, how do we capitalize? And um, we had issues because, you know, I, it's funny. I did not know how to play the bass. I would, you know, audition, can you play the bass? Yeah, I can play the bass. But you got to hear me sing. <laughs> and so and ideally pay more attention to that yeah uh, you know so as we were playing as we were doing the show i was learning how to play the bass shout out to zach throne who played oh my god he played lenny on the show who's a musical maestro and he was teaching me everything really yeah so that was really cool um and yeah so what had happened was as it went on they were trying to you know turn it into this monkey's Melrose Place machine mm. and to the point where they're like, yeah, we want you to start doing shows. And, and I remember going, but I don't play the bass guys. 
I don't do this. We want you to start releasing out. But but guys, this is not us playing. And a lot of the other guys were bona fide, you know. Um, and that became an issue because literally we we're like, we do not want to do the monkeys as actors. Right. We we're saying we do not want that. And it caused a lot of friction between production and us. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying this. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, think okay. I, think, I think you're okay. If you're really yeah. uncomfortable, we'll talk about it later. But, I mean, uh, no, no. Uh, is, is, is Aaron Spelling going to come after you? Not likely. Yeah. Go ahead. I don't think so. Uh, but it was really, yeah, it was, it was, it, it became, it became s- stressful towards the end. Like literally folks are like, you have to do this. And I was like, no, we don't have to do anything. <laughs> was it so stressful that there was maybe a sense of relief for its cancellation? Yeah, no. And I mean, yeah. luckily, like I'm still friends with, with some of them cats. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Cheryl Pollock. Who's also on the show? I remember I, <laughs> I fell in love with her in high school because she was in those Jordache commercials. Oh my God. Remember the Jordache commercials with okay. all like the angst teens? I don't know. My mother doesn't like me. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> she was one of those girls. <laughs> oh my Lord. So the, the weird thing was we, we had found out we had been canceled and we still had episodes to shoot kind of an interesting feeling to go into work going yeah okay what do you want today i've already had a bad taste in my mouth what are we doing today were they at least did they at least air those episodes you know i don't even remember interesting i don't even remember um now and don't don't take this wrong i'm not bad mouthing no no, experience just towards the end it got really weird like flying around on these little jets to do mall appearances in places. There were sometimes I did feel like one of the Beatles because the song was so huge. We'd go to a mall, like lip sync the song or something like that, or, or do an autograph session in Nordstrom's or whatever. (laughs) It was very bizarre. And then, you know, these kids would be screaming because Jamie Walters was, you know, he was the be all end all. And it was fascinating to be a part of that. And to experience that. And then also me going, well, I'm glad to go in after Jamie and not me. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot to, to process. And I don't think you have to worry about talking shit because for one thing, no. I promise you, there isn't a soul left in the, in the Fox front office who <laughs> all those guys, like, all those show? guys, all those guys are gone. All the there's a plenty of turnoff and it turn around an executive said, if you're talking about something from you could probably talk shit about stuff that went off the rails six months ago because people turn around in that line of work a lot. So 28 years, I think you're, you're <laughs> I think we're safely right. out of the woods here. Yeah. So you start getting some some film work and you you worked with with John Favreau on PCU. Right. And then does that does that lead you to swingers? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly. Was it a straight it. offer on Swingers? Yeah, hey Alex, I uh, I wrote a thing. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, would you mind doing it? I wrote you in mind. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's go. So you PC had no idea. I mean, there's no way to know that something like that is going to be the phenomenon that it was. You know what? You, we didn't know, but you could feel something while we were shooting it. Interesting. How so? It was just a feeling that we were on to something. We were on to something, and plus, it was just so much fun to shoot because. That, that was part of it for me as well as uh, during the day I was working on Boy Meets World 
And right. then at night, <laughs> I'd go shoot swingers, <laughs> you know, and I wasn't, you know, all through the picture, obviously. Yeah. But it was a blast. Literally, I, was, I felt like I was living the dream. I was like, wow, I'm working on a sitcom during the day. And then I get to work on my stuff with my boys at night. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what I mean? So it was that had really- to be just such a was it was it hard sort of shifting gears because I, I watched boys boy meets world is is streaming on disney plus so i watched a couple last night and you've got this this breezy self-assurance when you're doing multicam mm-hmm. while still honoring the kind of rules of multicam acting right which is really interesting um a lot of times people can um stiffen up in that medium right because they're trying to surf the laughs and they've got to, you know, make sure right. that everything is concise and everything has to be in its place. And I didn't, I didn't see that with you. Was it, huh. was it interesting to sort of shift gears or from, from acting on boy meets world to then doing this, this very specific indie comedy at night? It's funny that you say, it, cause I never even thought about trying to differentiate. Yeah. Um, well, what was, what was interesting about boy meets world was that Michael Jacobs, the creator was, very and it was cool he was scientific about comedy yeah he was one of those people that would like actually tell me okay you did this here and then you turned it into that and then you did that now you don't have to do you know he'd literally be able to break it down like the anatomy of a joke right the anatomy of what i was doing so i learned that from him but i never actually thought too much about it because with um with swingers uh I mean, John wrote me times 10. <laughs> I think that's what all of the characters are, is that guy times 10. Interesting. You know? So it was, and, it was uh, really coming close to, to your heart, but you at your best slash worst. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And, you know, and it, it was great, too. I mean, we're shooting at all the places I used to hang out. Yeah. You know, so... It was kind of like, yeah, it's really just, <laughs> just roll with it and do it. You know, just, there happens to be a camera here, but this is really any other night. Yeah. Yeah. There's that, there's that great scene where you're in that club that used to be in the alley behind the newsstand on Coenga. Yeah. The room. Uh-huh. I was watching the film recently. I, I unabashedly love that movie. I think it's probably one of my favorite LA movies. Yeah. Um, it is just such a great time capsule of this town from both a social and economic standpoint. I right. think. But there's the moment where, you know, you have that, that famous line where you're looking around and yeah, this place is dead. And I was looking at it and I was noticing that you're shot from below. And I'm like, it actually might've been kind of dead where how many extras did you, did you really pack it in there? Or were you faking it? Um, well, if I remember, we actually shot in those places while they were open. Really? Mm-hmm. So that, because it looks amazing. It looks authentically crowded, but I wasn't sure if that was just me falling for the trick. No, 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 no. I'm I'm trying to remember. (laughs) Um, Because we used the three of clubs doubling for the room inside. Oh, okay. Three of clubs, which is further down Vine. Yeah. (laughs) And no, no, it was open while we were shooting. Oh, that's when we, the party scene, I believe we threw a party. How, how how do you all right i'm gonna get super technical then are you all body mic'd you have to be body mic'd you can't do that with a boom it's too noisy 
Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm trying to remember right now. I'm sorry, I'm getting so nerdy. I apologize. I'm no, getting it's okay. So nerdy. It's okay. But there's something about I'm not too surprised to hear that because you know you really can't fake that level of authenticity, and there's mm-hmm. something about that sort of congestion of yeah. young Hollywood yeah. that you can't fake. Yeah. Like I remember seeing that movie when, when it came out and I lived in New York city and I was like, Oh, this is a funny little comedy of, of, uh, of, you know, 20 something uh, morals and stuff. And I dig it. And then I saw it again after living in LA for a year. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. This is a documentary. <laughs> this is Frederick Wiseman's greatest work an incisive <laughs> view of end of the century, Los Angeles. I mean, just the whole conversation about how you should never tell your parents you're testing for a pilot. Yeah. Like, who is that fucking joke for? <laughs> who is that? Like, it's a hundred percent true. Don't tell your parents you're testing for a pilot. Right. Um, but, uh, and you've got that one line about how they feel. They, they still think you booked deep space oh, yeah. nine or whatever. <laughs> Listen, it's funny. Cause now it's like, I don't tell my mother anything until, all right, mom, watch ABC tonight at eight o'clock. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see something. Oh, I, when the, my my good news when my parents are still with us. My good news with the last possible fucking minute. Like I would oh, confirm yeah. with everybody to make sure that like okay, I did not get cut from this thing, right? Uh. <laughs> um, they didn't do any reshoots. I'm still in this, right? Because I want to call my mom, but I want I need insurance on this. <laughs> in recent years, you've had this great great spate of of guest work. Uh, all over the place. Speaking of incredibly specific actor uh, mediums, your work on Better Things <laughs> is that's an astonishing show that I will admit I just got yeah. into over the past couple of weeks. So wonderful. It's so good. And it's so, I, I'm pleased that it's a hit, but I'm also a little surprised it's a hit because it's real mm-hmm. inside baseball. Yeah. It's but, really, you know, it's just so human, though, that it can hit every chord. It really can. I mean, I think there's like, even if you're not in acting, if you can make a corollary between what it feels like to be an actress in her 40s mm-hmm. and see Julie Bowen walk into a room right. and be like, ah, fuck this, I'm going to be traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and I think every business has something like that. Yeah. You you might have to take the extra step of like, oh, how does that relate to my work as a dental hygienist? But it's there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um there's this amazing scene where you and Pamela are shooting a car commercial mm-hmm. and it's taking forever. Yeah. The show's plot kind of just stops for a moment. Yeah. That episode's plot just grinds to a halt. So we can just keep going back to take after take yeah. and they're going again, but they're not telling you why they're going again. And you guys are asking for direction. Like what could we yeah. be doing differently? And they're, and they cut to you like having a fight with someone on the phone. Have you, I know what the answer is to this question. Have you had experiences like that, Alex? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Am I, are, are we still doing this scene? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could relate to it. Again, there's just this quality in your work of, of the guy who is just letting stuff happen around him but is not necessarily getting super upset about it uh a it's not an aloofness there's a but just a a a present coolness i guess Mm. um and i think that might just be alex wow i'm gushing over here it's interesting 
there are moments though where you're you're pushed on that show and is it kind of fun to stretch in that direction to kind of like see yourself get a little a little hotter a little more emotional always yeah so much fun i mean that's that's what we do yeah you know as humans as actors just trying to go in every direction you know you know it's great cuz i i know <laughs> i think the subtext for what you're seeing is me going fascinating. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you're you right. Know, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm grateful cause I know this is going to sound crass or, but that's been my bread and butter Yeah, as, as an actor, but also as an actor, you, you want to get stretched. Yeah. You, you want to get scared. So you can go right there, get scared, break through, and then go, great, I can do that. What else? Yeah. What else? You know, what's next? I'm scared shitless of that. Let's go. Yeah. You know, and that's the goal, I think. You know, keep learning, keep growing. This leads me seamlessly to Freaky Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Um, my first reaction, uh, upon seeing it was fuck. Yeah. Alex gets to sing. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. Alex gets to sing. This is the musical version of the, of the story. Um, fairly recent, a couple years old at this point, Mm -hmm. you and, and, uh, uh, Heidi, uh, Blickenstaff. Am I saying that right? Uh Um, and if you're familiar with the Lindsay Lohan version, Alex is plays the Mark Harmon role. Um, and you you're it's really interesting because I don't think I've seen you do a lot of paternal roles. Mm. I'm, I'm, and I'm ha- it's happening now. It's starting to happen. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, there's good money there. There's good money in the yeah. dad roles. <laughs> um, they always need dads. Too, so yeah. That's kind of but it's, it was that, am I right in saying that, that it's, that, that it, it's been a while. You're usually sort of this sort of coolish loner, but mm-hmm. to have you be this guy who's really trying to integrate yeah. himself into this family it's been fun, you know, Disney, because I also did Let It Shine. Yeah. Which was like a hip hop Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it was the same character, but it was a loving mentor, mm-hmm. father figure. Man, just be yourself, you know, that guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's great that I've been able to do that as well. And then, you know, that kind of flows into Freaky Friday, too. And I was so happy when I was like, oh, this is the casting. Let's go, guys. You know, um, yeah, it's, you know, you know, it's kind of cool doing these paternal roles um, because I don't have any children. um, But it's great to, you know, embody that. And also it gives me my uh, friends with kids. It gives them so much street cred. Oh, of course. When they want, they're like, yeah, that's my friend, Alex. Then <laughs> talking to their kids. <laughs> and when you popped up happy, in uh, when you popped up in Alexander and the No Good, Very Bad, Horrible Day, <laughs> so I dined out on that. I was like, "Yep, that right there, that's Alex." <laughs> Went to Wagner. I'm in a fucking theater. I'm sitting at the Grove with my kids. I'm like that teacher right there. He went to Wagner with your old man right there. And I, I mean, I'll take the cred where I can get it at this point. No. My kids, and are that's a, yeah. Honestly, I'm, I'm not going to lie. That really makes me feel good. <laughs> sure. I love what I, the thing about doing 
work that is geared towards children is that like kids do not have hesitation about mm-hmm. walking up to people they've seen on TV. Right. They have none of that at all. And it's yeah. charming. It's a, it's yeah. a good feeling, you know, like, Oh, I've, I've brought a little joy. I have perhaps given this mom a respite while the kid was in front of the TV. <laughs> Are you an uncle? Uh-huh. My new uncle. Yeah. My uh, kid sister. I have, I have yet to meet my niece yet though. Oh, of course. So, yeah. You know, so hopefully this year I'll get down to Florida. Oh, they're in see Florida. the rest of the family over there. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. We're going to get heavy for a moment and we're going to get into Hollywood shuffle territory again, sort of. Mm. Um, this Simpsons gig mm-hmm. has got to be a weird way to get a job. Yeah. Um, it has, and I'm, I'm not trying to be performatively woke here because I'm as, as pig headed as any middle-class white guy, but it has, it has always struck me as a little weird that Harry Shearer was voicing that role, that Hank Azaria was voicing his roles. Um, and it has struck me as weird that it took 30 years to, to course right. correct was there a part of you that thought mm, this might be too little too late guys, or were you just let's go in and, and give it a shot? <sighs> I don't want to make trouble where there isn't any, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't know about too little too late, but I definitely, I said, all right, it's about time. Um, I, you know, I think honestly, I was conflicted for a second because Hank does such a great job. But I understand. And um, and if I, I think it's right to have the representation, the proper representation as well. Have you gotten to talk to Hank since you got the gig? No, we haven't talked. We've 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 uh, met each other on Zoom table reads. Okay. Yeah. Like this will be happening. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah, it's interesting, and everyone at the Simpson has been very welcoming. Good. Warm and open. You know, and it was strange because I think that week there were so many like voiceover calls for um, the changing of characters, like Cleveland show. Right. Um, There was a bunch of stuff going on and it was kind of interesting because I remember going, wow, probably every black voice actor in Hollywood is auditioning for these right now. And you had, I mean, you had years playing Nick Fury Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my buddy Chris Cox is Hawkeye. Uh, on those Avenger Chris cartoons, Cox, he's the best. Chris yeah. Cox is what he's an incredibly gifted mimic too. Yeah, um, he does a not terrible Alex Desert. He won't oh, do it in mix. He won't do it in mixed company, but he's a. It, it's not terrible. Like um, Alex Desert, Alex Desert, or Alex Desert 
doing Nick Fury. <laughs> he does your Nick Fury. I apologize. He does your Nick Fury. Based on yeah. Billy D. Williams, might I add. Is it really? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, there's a there's a, a seductive quality to Nick Fury that might not swag. be in the it might be in the books. Yeah, it might not be in the books. That's your own little uh, that's your own little spin on it. That's nice. Um, that's wild. As long as we're talking about representation, though, if you go back twenty years, you know, nowadays I don't think you play that role on Becker. Hmm. I don't know that you play a blind character on right. uh, on Becker because that's also something that casting directors are are being pushed. That character was actually written for an older white guy. Really? Yeah. His name is Jake Malinak. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, So that was another one of those bits of, okay, good on you. Good on you for opening your eyes and then saying, hey, yeah, let's see what this guy does. You have this incredible chemistry with Danson. Mm-hmm. Who I mean, it has to be said, Danson is is one of our great multicam actors, a great yeah. actor in general. But I yeah. mean, he's in the pantheon of guys who just understand that format mm-hmm. on like a cellular yeah. level. Mm-hmm. But you guys playing with each other and fucking with each other on set is really fun to watch. Was it? Was it a good experience? It's honestly, one of the best experiences of my life. And it, you know, and you said it, it starts with him. Yeah, um, it was one of the most loving sets I've ever been on um, to the point where it was like, you know, we'd have, you know how hard it is to be a guest actor on a show where family's already established. Nerve We went out of our way to make sure everybody felt good. That's nice. And included, you know, um, you know, uh, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot actually from watching Ted, uh, who is a master of, you know, just acting in general. And I remember at first I was like, man, do I want to be on that show with Ted dancing? Oh no. And then <laughs> as it went on, I was like, no, this is a fun place to be. Um, I mean, the writers were top notch. The actors. Did you have, um, did I read, was Matt Weiner on that show? Was yep. he a writer on that show for yep. Mad Men? Because yep. I know he cut his teeth doing sitcom. I didn't realize he was on Becker. Yep. And he wrote a lot of my stuff, which was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's, a, yeah. We had some good, like, we had some of the writers from MASH. Wings. Really? Oh, yeah. These people were ped- pedigreed, my friend. And it was great. And, you know, one of the, one of my, they, they give me room to play with with yeah. some of the jokes, which was there was one episode and I'll never forget. And I thank them so hard for some reason. I was like Ted and I used to, you know, joke around and we, you know, we do our we do the rehearsals. It's different characters, and I was on a <laughs> Jack Benny thing for a minute because it was just Jack Benny's timing. Yeah, sure. I remember there was one episode where something happens. Ted embarrasses himself in a restaurant. And then my line is smooth. That's my (laughs) response. And I asked them, I said, do you mind if I just try and do this really, really long pause between his? So literally they let, you know, Ted does his thing. And I'm sure I waited like 40 seconds until I said smooth. 
And the beauty is, if I remember, they left that in the episode. They didn't edit it. They didn't cut it. You know what I mean? They let it sit until it got really uncomfortable. And this is a sitcom. That's, that is an eternity in sitcom. Yes. And the fact, you know what I mean? It was that kind of show. They were there like, yeah, all right. We'll try it. We trust you. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Can I ask if do you remember if it was in front of the live audience or was it a pre-tape? Oh, yeah. It was oh, in front yeah. of the audience. In front of the so you got audience. to surf that laugh and oh, know when man. it was time. Yeah, oh, see, that's yeah. crucial. You need oh, that yeah. audience because they'll let you know when they're ready for the next joke. Uh-huh. And not everyone can hear it. Yeah. But I think I honestly think people who have a musical background are probably a little better at at knowing when to step in and right. like you want to get the laugh to die out just enough that you can step in and be heard, but you can't go too long. It's a real, it's, there's a real science to it. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's neat to watch people like you really understand uh, what's needed for you. Are you a new heart fan? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of Sunday mornings as a kid. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. I think like on channel nine, they used to play like Davy and Goliath. Yeah. And then, and then after, oh, you're, well, you're talking about Newhart. I was talking about the Bob Newhart show. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they played Davy and Goliath and then the Bob Newhart show. Sure. No, I met the man. I met the man, yes. not, the, not the show. Yes, I, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, that's right. I, they did go from Davy. They went from religious uh-huh. claymation to yeah. uh, the wacky psychiatrist yeah. office. Um, I always, I'd love to see Don Rickles and Newhart together alone in a room. Oh, my God. Just what goes on there? Uh, I remember when the two, when those two guys, when Carson died, Rickles mm-hmm. and uh, and Newhart came on Leno, mm-hmm. and they they told stories. You can probably find it online. It is a okay. really fun, you know, it, it's a very joyful celebration of a life, and the two of them are incredible. But yeah, anytime I, anytime I, I take a little bit longer to to step in with a joke. I mm-hmm. should basically write a check to Bob Newhart. <laughs> he just, he weaponized the pause yeah. in a way that, that if you've got, you've just got to steal from it. He just understood yeah. when silence works. Yeah. And also and this, to the, his eyes, whenever that was go down, it's like sometimes it would just be completely deadpan. Yeah. But then there were the other times where you could see the thoughts processing. <laughs> There'd be, yeah, he'd, he'd be like, what, what happens next? Or there'd be this sort of sadness where he yeah. knew he was the only voice of reason in the world and he was going to have to be this truth teller at one point. Yeah. We don't have to keep this, but there's an amazing, amazing story. Newhart played a, um, a children's science show host on Big Bang Theory. And I never okay. worked with him, but one of the guys called me up and said, Hey, Newhart's coming on this week. I'm going to get you a drive on. Cause I know you're going to want to come and see him work. I was like, yeah, you bet your ass I do. I'm absolutely going to come see him work. So I went in, I was not working on the episode, but I went in, I met him and I, I watched him do his thing and his, you know, the pauses were incredible. Apparently during the week at one point, the director comes up to him and says, Bob, if, if we can, um, right before that line, can you, um, can you do that stutter that you do? right before you you land that one little line and Newhart goes that's a I don't I don't I don't stutter and the director goes oh I'm 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 sorry and of course you know you know what's going on in the back of his head like, I just piss off Bob Newhart am I fired what's happening right now yeah Newhart continues no I I uh, I, 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 I stammer do, <laughs> do, 
Do you know the Do you know the difference? And the director goes, "No." And Newhart goes, "A house in Bel Air." Oh. <laughs> Talk about understanding what you bring to a project, you know, yeah. like we're talking about how you bring a certain coolness yeah. and a certain fascinating quality to sure. your work. And maybe that's the game, you know, maybe that's the game is just really finding as early as possible what you're good at. Yeah. And then just offering that for a price. That's it. That's it. And see what happens. <laughs> are you, are you making more music? Um, well, we are now that the pandemic stuff is lifting slowly. We've got some gigs we're trying to line up, um, with Hepcat and the lions. We got a couple, well, actually, no, not the lions, but some of the guys in the lions, we've got some recordings that we're about to do. This is fun. I'm so, so excited to hear that. (laughs) Alex, thank you so much for doing this. Anytime, man. And that is an episode wrap on Alex Desert. Follow Alex at Alex Desert was here on Instagram. And, and you really should. He's an excellent photographer. Keep an eye out for him. He's going to be recurring on the new Amazon Prime series, A League of Their Own. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow us at Household Faces on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, where's Crafty? Forever. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. 